Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are diving into one of the most riveting subjects in all of Scripture, one that I'm sure you woke up this morning and you were just dying to know what the Bible says about church leadership, right? Every day of your life, I'm sure that's, that's, the, that's the burning question in your mind. Um, no, so, th- so this series that we're doing is uh, just simply called You Asked For It, answering some questions that, that I've fielded, that I've, that I've heard asked. And um, so this morning, is, we're going to shift our attention to, to church leadership and asking not, not how have we done it, not, not what's the traditional Baptist way, Although we'll, we'll talk about that some, but, but what does the Bible say? Um, because listen, let, let, me, let me lay my cards on the table, okay? So if you're somewhat new here, um, I am as Southern Baptist as the day is long, okay? I, I've been Southern Baptist longer than I've been a believer, okay? Uh, I was, I was, my name was on the cradle roll probably before I was born. Some of you have no idea what the cradle roll is, that's okay. Um, I was, but I've been on church rolls uh, since before I was actually physically born, okay? That's how Baptist I am, all right? Like, listen, we're having a potluck in a minute. Like, this, we're talking about Baptist leadership. Like, this is a Baptist day, okay? I'm so excited. Um, and so, but, but let me just simply say that anytime we approach anything when it comes to theology, that the primary question for us shouldn't be, well, what what do Baptists believe? What does the Baptist faith and message teach? But our, our first question should always be, what does the Bible say about it? Now, we have a good confession of faith in the Baptist faith and message, and, and, and that's not changing. I, I believe it's solid. I, I agree with what it teaches about the New Testament, but that's not where I go for my spiritual formation. I go to the New Testament to, to be formed by God's Word. And so the primary question for us this morning is simply this. What does the Bible say about church leadership? And then the follow-up question is, what needs to change in the life of our church so that we more closely align with the Bible? Because believe it or not, when we see differences in the way we operate and the way the Bible would present things, the way the New Testament would present things, it's not our job to say, well, but that verse doesn't really mean... And, and, and adjust the Bible to, feed our, to, to meet our way of life, it, it's up to us to adjust the way that we do things so that we more closely reflect the Bible, okay? Uh, now, if you're here and you're like, man, I, what's, this, what's this topical stuff? Um, about 90% of the time, we're going to walk through books of the Bible. Uh, starting off this year, I, I just am doing this series called You Asked For It, just answering some, some questions that we've gotten. Um, midway through February... Uh, we are going to dive into the Gospel of Mark, and by, by the time we take a break in that for Christmas, we'll have gotten about halfway through the book of Mark, okay, the, the Gospel of Mark. So uh, we are going to spend the rest of this year walking through the Gospel of Mark, and, and I am thrilled about it. It's going to be so much fun uh, to just look at the life of Jesus. All right, so let's, let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And if you will, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the Lord says this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. 
An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Pray that you will be with us this morning as we look at church leadership, as we look at these offices of elder, pastor, and, and the office of deacon. We just pray that you will open our eyes to, to see what your word has to say about those. And then that we would go a step further and look at our existing structures and ask what needs to change so that we might more closely align with the New Testament. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take a seat. Um, now, what, what we see here in these two passages is that primarily there are two biblical offices in the church. And that's, uh, that's these two. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see overseer. All right, we're told that the office of overseer. Now, your, your Bible in there, in, in that spot, may say elder. Some translations may say pastor. Don't worry, those are all referring to the same office. In the New Testament, the, the New Testament writers will use really three words interchangeably to refer to the same office. That's overseer, elder, pastor, and even occasionally, in some translations, bishop. Okay, um, now we're not Catholic, right? So we don't have we don't typically use bishops, um, but but overseer, elder, pastor, those are all interchangeable terms referring to the office of what we would primarily call pastor. All right, that's the first one. Then the second office is that of deacon. We see that beginning in verse eight. Now the word deacon literally means if, if we translate that. From the Greek, it literally means servant. That's the office of deacon. Now, depending on the, um, the church tradition that you grew up in, if you have a background, um, deacons could be everything from servants. Uh, sometimes deacons would be um, like Sunday school teachers would be referred to as deacons. Um, even to, on, on kind of more corporately established or corporately run churches, where the deacons are really the board uh, that everything has to go through before it comes to the church for a vote. Um, I have opinions about all of those, okay? So, uh, but what we can say from the Bible is that literally the word deacon is servant. And the first place that we see uh, this office or, or men acting in this role of deacons is in Acts chapter 6, even though the word is not used there. In Acts chapter 6, there, are, uh, there was an issue that arose 
in that some widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. So, so the church in Jerusalem had a daily food service that they provided to widows, and there was a group of widows who felt like they were being overlooked. Apparently, up to this point, the apostles, or, or those who were serving as elders and pastors, were taking care of all of that. They were preaching, they were teaching, they were serving, and, and they simply said in Acts 6, this, this is becoming too much for us. There, there's too much going on, and as pastors and teachers, it's our job to proclaim the Word of God. That's our primary responsibility. So what they instructed the church to do is to set aside seven men who would oversee this distribution of food. And it's generally believed these men are the first, what we would recognize as deacons, men who served, who had no other, no other responsibility. They didn't sit around and, and have meetings and tell the pastor what he was supposed to do. Um, they, they, didn't, they, they, they simply served. That, that was their role, and that's what the word deacon means. So two offices, pastor or elder and deacon. And then really, the the rest of these passages deal with the qualifications for those offices. Now, you might be interested to know that, or or to see here, that really these these lists of qualifications aren't job descriptions. In fact, there's really only one skill that's ever mentioned in either one of these passages, and that's that pastors must have the ability to teach. Every Every other qualification that's listed in 1 Timothy 3, for either elder or for deacon, is related to their character. Almost exclusively, they refer to the character of the men who are called pastors or elders and deacons. And this is what we're told. So when we begin with the list to the pastors, this is what These are some of the qualifications that are listed there, that they should be above reproach. That doesn't mean perfect, but it does mean that no one can bring a charge against him. They should be the husband of one wife. This is primarily why we as Baptists will hold to the belief that the office of pastor is limited to men because of this qualification and because that does not apply to a female. A female cannot be the husband of one wife regardless of what our culture is saying at the moment, right? We're, we're, again, so we're not going to hold that in a chauvinistic way, uh, but rather humbly simply saying this is what we believe Scripture teaches. We want to align as closely as possible with Scripture. Um, husband of one wife does not necessarily mean has never been divorced. The, the literal translation of that is a one-woman man. There's a word in the New Testament in Greek that means divorced. Paul could have used that here if that's what he was getting at. He could have, say not, he could have said not divorced. He didn't say that. He said rather a one-woman man, a man who is singularly devoted to his one wife. Now, when, when that question comes up, uh, my response is always, well, we, we handle those on a case-by-case basis. I'm not going to make a blanket statement about any marriage or any divorce. We, we handle those on a case-by-case basis. But the, the point is that both Pastors and we'll see in deacons need to be faithful to their wives. Sensible, respectable, hospitable. The, the one uh, skill here is able to teach. Pastors and, and elders' primary responsibility is teaching the Word of God. 
in, in settings like this, in, in proclaiming to a, to a large gathered congregation, or even in smaller group Bible studies, or, uh, or in some cases we'll see pastors that, that pastor house churches, where there may just be a handful of people who are gathered there, but there requires some skill in being able to proclaim the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that he has to be a Billy Graham, and let me tell you, I'm grateful for that, right? doesn't mean you have to be the, the world's uh, flashiest communicator. It does mean you have to effectively understand and be able to communicate the Word of God. Not an excessive drinker. Generally speaking, drunks and pastors don't go well together, just as, as a general rule, right? Not a bully, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not, not always looking for a fight. Always looking to bully his way. Not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and he must have his children under control. That, that doesn't mean that the pastor's kids always have to act perfect. And again, I'm grateful for that, right? And I'm, and I'm grateful for this church that allows my kids to be kids. Because you know something about, that I've learned about pastor's kids is I've raised some? Uh, the church really begins to feel like a second home. Uh, and, and you do things at home that you don't do elsewhere, right? Like run through the church. I mean, and, and so, you know, as many times as we've told our kids, don't run through the church, inevitably they're going to run through the church. So this isn't holding pastor's kids to a higher standard than others. But, but it simply means that a, that a pastor needs to have a stable home life, not one that's always volatile. Not a new convert. This is important because too much power too quickly is a dangerous thing for a follower of Christ. That's not to say that the, the office of pastor carries with it all that much power, but, but, but we've seen men, and I'm sure maybe you can think of some, and I certainly can, who have allowed whatever power comes with this position to go to their head, and who have abused the power of the pastorate. I think often that, that happens because they are not mature in their faith. Now again, this, this isn't looking for perfection, but it's looking for uh, someone who's been a believer for a, a period of time and is progressing, is growing in their faith. And then finally, have a good reputation among outsiders. And, and this one might go without saying, but it doesn't because Paul obviously felt it was important enough to, to list it here. And the reason for this should be obvious. Maybe you've known some churches where people say, I won't go there because of that pastor. I'm not going to go there because of him. Now, occasionally, even the best pastors will make people mad and they'll get up and leave. It happens. Um, it's been happening since, since the New Testament. Jesus made a lot of people mad. But generally speaking, as in overall, he has a good reputation among outsiders. When people hear the name of a pastor or an elder, they should think, there's a godly man whom I want to emulate in my faith. Not, man, can you believe that guy's a pastor? Right? Now we get to deacons, and you'll see some similarities here, right? So we're told that they should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine. All of these are, uh, go with what we just looked at with elders. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now this is unique to deacons. 
we're told that pastors, elders need to be able to teach. Deacons don't have to be able to teach, but they need to understand something about the faith, something about the truth of the gospel, about what it means that God sent Jesus to earth as a baby, as a man to pay for our sins. Must be proved blameless. Again, it's not looking for perfection. That's looking for a pattern of holiness that that no charge can be brought against them. Again, husband of one wife, and managing their children, managing their households. These are the qualifications. Now, you might look at these, and, and I think we should realize that really none of these are unique to leadership that should not also be true of followers of Christ, right? I mean, these are all, if if you're looking for some guidelines for your own life, these are good things to have. And so the, the point then is that in leadership, we look for men who exemplify these things. Not perfect, but who are progressing in their relationship with Christ and whom we can point to and say, that's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. That's someone who's repenting of sin in their life, trying to love their wives and their children well, and following Christ as best they can and are teaching others to do the same. Now, uh, about 18 months ago or so, when I was going through 1 Timothy, um, I I mentioned this. I said, I wonder, if if we're looking at all these character qualifications, I wonder how many of the issues we've seen in churches have come, particularly with leadership, because we valued gifting over character. We've experienced several high-profile leaders who have fallen in the last few years. Not not just one denomination, that's not just true of Southern Baptists, that's true across the, the board. And in every single case, there was some glaring character defect that was overlooked because someone had a charismatic personality or because they had an ability... Uh, an outstanding ability to teach. And the character deficiencies were swept under the rug until they couldn't be anymore, until they exploded and caused a lot of damage. So we see this when pastors are called, who are great preachers, but who have anger issues. Or, as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have not... Understand, I'm not referring to First Baptist Church. I'm saying collectively what, what I've experienced is that we'll appoint men as deacons who've been successful businessmen and who've never been divorced but who have questionable business practices or who have not managed their own households well or who don't have a good reputation in the community because they're successful. We'll, we'll give them a title in the church. And so let me just simply say here, listen, the church is not like any other business. There are business aspects to it. We, we handle finances. That's why we have in our church family meeting, we look, we, overlook the, uh, we look at the financial statements every month. There are business aspects to us, but we are not primarily a business. We are a body gathered to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just interested in high-capacity leaders. Keep in mind that Jesus started his ministry with a fisherman and a tax collector. 
We're not just interested in high-capacity leaders. We're interested in faithful followers of Christ. That's what should mark leaders. Now let's get into the roles. For the pastor, the elder, the primary role is shepherding the congregation through teaching. That's the primary role of the, the pastor, elder, shepherding through teaching. 2 Timothy 4. You, you can jot this down. I didn't put these on the screen. You can jot this down. This is what Paul tells Timothy, who is a pastor and elder at the church in Ephesus. He says this, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with all patience and teaching. This is the thing that Paul is telling Timothy above everything else, right? I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, preach the word. Timothy, if you do nothing else, preach the word. Now, that's not all he did, but this is primary. And you know what I've learned in, in my week in and week out activities? Regardless of what else happens dur- during the week, there's a Sunday morning deadline where I'm charged with standing here and proclaiming God's word to God's people gathered to worship him. Whatever else happens, this is, remains my primary task, my primary calling as a pastor and elder. Now, for deacons, then, the primary task is service. You might have guessed that since the name literally means servant. Again, we see this in Acts 6 where the church in Jerusalem appointed seven men to assist in the daily distribution of food because certain widows were being overlooked. And it's, again, seen in the name, in the fact that the name deacon, the word deacon literally means servant. Okay, so we've looked at the offices, we've looked at the qualifications, we've looked at the roles. Now let's look at the biblical pattern of leadership. And this is where I really want us to zero in. The biblical pattern of leadership is a plurality of leadership. Plurality meaning multiples, okay? Multiple people. Now, in the absence of a church organizational chart in the appendix of your Bible, which you will not find, don't go looking for it, okay? We're, we're not, like, attached to First or Second Timothy is not an, an organizational chart of how these churches were, were arranged. So, in, in the absence of that, we have to ask the question, what's the normative pattern for leadership in the New Testament? And the answer to that is a plurality of pastors and deacons. Now, every church that I've seen, every Baptist church especially, will, will have a plurality of deacons. There's not much argument there, even though we, we could argue about exactly what those deacons have done. Generally speaking, churches have, have recognized a plurality of having more than one deacon. But you might be surprised to know and to see that the New Testament mentions multiple elders for congregations as well. Enough so that that, that leads me to that statement saying this is the normative pattern in the New Testament, a plurality of pastors. Let's take a look at some of these. Acts 14.23 says the apostles 
going around from church to church, and it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, you'll notice it doesn't say when they had appointed an elder in every church. It says when they had appointed elders in every church. There seems to be the idea here that there's plural, multiple elders in each church. In Acts chapter 15, there was some confusion by Gentile believers over issues like circumcision and some other practices. And so we're told that the apostles and the elders, plural, at the church in Jerusalem gathered to discuss the matter, and then the apostles and the elders wrote a letter to the Gentile believers from the Jerusalem church saying, this is what we recommend. This is how we would... um, This is how we would advise you to proceed. One church, church in Jerusalem, the apostles were there and elders. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, the same church that Timothy is pastoring, the same church where, where Paul's writing this letter to 1 Timothy that's our primary text for the morning. And, and it says that he addresses the elders in, in Ephesus, Acts 20, 28, and, he, and this is what he says to the elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. There's that word, overseers, elder, pastor. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. This is Paul speaking to a group of men who have been called overseers in this church. One church, multiple overseers, multiple elders. In Philippians 1.1, in his greeting to the church at Philippi in that letter in Philippians, Paul writes this, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, and deacons. There we have both mentioned in the plural, writing to one church in Philippi, to the overseers and the deacons. 1 Timothy 3, where where we've been this morning, our, our primary passage. Paul is writing to Timothy about the qualifications for overseers. Keep in mind, Paul is, or Timothy is a pastor and elder at this church in Ephesus. Paul's writing to him about qualifications for more elders, more pastors in the church. And then Titus 1.5, which we uh, finished, I believe, last summer. Last last summer is when we did Titus. Titus 1.5, Paul writes this, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town plural, in every town, singular. So, so follow this with me here. We, we have examples here in the New Testament from Jerusalem, from Ephesus, from Philippi, and Crete. That's multitude of churches, multiple churches, that we see are functioning with a plurality of elders. That's what we call a pattern. In the absence of, uh, as I said, in the absence of a 
detailed organizational chart of church leadership at the back of your Bible, we ask what the pattern is. This is the pattern in the New Testament that we see. The New Testament normative pattern for churches is a plurality of elders. Okay? So now we get to the question, well, is this Baptist? Yeah, as I said at the beginning, the, the primary question is not, um, is it Baptist, but is it biblical? But since we're Baptists, and, and that's not changing anytime soon, this is a valid question for us, right? And, and the answer is, not recently, but... Not, not much recently, but... Hear, hear me out. I have a, a friend who pastors Rio Membris Baptist Church on the uh, southwestern part of the state. Uh, he, did his, he finished his doctorate at the same time I finished mine last year. He and I graduated together. He did his doctoral dissertation on elders in Southern Baptist churches. Riveting reading, I'm sure. I'm sure all of you want to go download his dissertation right now. But, but he found this, and this is interesting. William B. Johnson lived from 1792 to 1863 and was the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention from 1845 to 1851. He taught not only at the New Testament, uh, taught that each congregation should have a plurality of elders, but that it was also the most efficient way to govern a local congregation. J.L. Reynolds, who is the pastor of Second Baptist Church of Richmond, Virginia, wrote that congregations in the New Testament were led by a plurality of elders, but that the circumstances of a local congregation should determine how many elders they have. Again, there's the, there, there's the autonomy. This is the pattern. We have some freedom to figure out exactly what that looks like. William Wallace, not the Braveheart guy, okay, who was a founding member of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, taught that the early church always, or at least in most cases, was led by a plurality of elders, but the, believed that the issue should be left up to each local congregation's decision. So again, the normative pattern is multiple elders, plurality of elders. Churches get to figure out exactly what that looks like. Now let's go back. So, so Baptists, uh, typically we would say we are not a creedal people, meaning we, we don't subscribe to a creed. Rather, we have what we call confessions of faith historically. So the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is the confession of faith that we ascribe to that, that describes who we are as Baptists and, and what we believe about important doctrinal issues. So the, the Philadelphia Confession, a Baptist confession in 1742, says this. A particular church, gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ, consists of officers and members, and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued at the end of the world, are bishops or elders and deacons. Okay, A particular church with elders and deacons. Fast forward to 1925, the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message from where the, the one that we now hold to comes from. A church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, and exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth 
its scriptural officers are bishops or elders and deacons. Now, talking about uh, almost 200 years and almost the exact same language. Now fast forward to the statement of faith that we ascribe to, the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message. The New Testament Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic process. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So again, we talk about a church. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. Now for a while... Baptists got away from this, and we, we developed what we would call a senior pastor model, where there was one pastor shepherding the church, usually um, alongside deacons, who were in some cases servants, who in, in some cases uh, served as in, in the role of elders, where they would teach, they would do all the work of the elders. In some cases, uh, the deacons were really nothing more than, like I said, the, the approval board, the um, the, almost like a board of trustees who had to approve every decision, including, well, we should change this light bulb. Well, pastor, how much is that going to cost? I don't know. It's a light bulb. Well, we got to take that to the church to approve it, right? I mean, so anyway, I digress. <laughs> but what we're seeing is a recovery of the pattern in recent Baptist history of a plurality of elders among Baptist congregations. So now let me talk about our responsibility. Here's our primary responsibility as, as Baptists who have been known as people of the book. Our responsibility is biblical fidelity. Now, in the event that your hand is, is dying from writing all this stuff down and you're trying to, trying to juggle all this, um, there, there is a document coming uh, that we'll make available in the next week or two um, that will have all these, the, the quotes from the Baptist Confessions. The scriptures that, that I've listed this morning, along with perhaps some others, and that we're going to make available to you so that as a congregation we can read over these, we can pray over them. Now, now, now hear me. In light of the biblical evidence, in light of what we've looked at today, I believe a plurality of elders is biblical, and I, need, I believe we need to make that a reality in our congregation. Now, you may have some questions, and that's fine. My, my email, my phone number are in the bulletin. I, there's a reason those are there, because I, I want you to know how to get in touch with me. Well, so what I'm not saying is, um, this is the way it's going to be. It's my way or the highway. We're doing it right now. Here we go. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're going to provide some documents that, that lay out the biblical case for this. We're going to have some discussions about what this looks like exactly in our church. This doesn't mean, let me clarify this, this doesn't mean we're going to add three or four staff positions, okay? It does mean that we'll have additional men to serve in the role of pastors and elders to shepherd and to teach the congregation. And this is what I believe that, that leads to. This is a, what I believe the reward of this, and that's this, more fruit. Now, it's not kind of, plurality of elders is not some kind of spiritual 
silver bullet, okay? So what I'm not saying is, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to add two more elders, and then immediately we're going to baptize 50 people this year. That's not what I'm saying. What it will do is it will provide more biblical leadership in the church. It will allow us to better shepherd the congregation that God has given to us. And yes, as we more closely align ourselves in, in humility with what the New Testament has said, we trust that God will continue to bless us. So what do we do with all this? What's the call today? Well, it's simple. Two, two things. I think everybody in this room can do this. The first one is to pray. Pray that God would raise up godly men to serve as elders and as deacons, or that, that we would recognize those who are already serving in that role without the title. And then secondly, observe. Look for them. Pray that God would raise them up and look for them. I would ask this, as we provide some documents, if you have questions, again, email me, text me, call me, set up an appointment. I'd love to sit down and visit with you. Um, I'm a nerd, so, man, talking theology and the the minutia of church leadership, like, fires me up, okay? I love it. Um, I, I've read books on this. I will give you a list of books to read. Um, it, we'll have like our own church leadership book club. It'll be awesome, all right? Great, great time, great fun. But, but also, I, I want to answer any questions you have, but, but I would also challenge you. If you have questions, if you have hesitations, my, my, my simple question back would be, are these reservations based on what the Bible says or are they reservations based on, well, we've never done it this way before? And, my, and finally, so, so pray that God would raise up the men to serve in these roles. Be looking for them. And finally, let's pray for unity. This, this, this is a shift. It's a change. And, you know, everybody, we say we like change until it affects me, and then I don't like it anymore, right? So, so let's just pray for unity, and let's pray for the Holy Spirit's leading, that, that we as the people of First Baptist Church would be obedient to God's Word, and unified as we move forward. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, and even in the details of church leadership. I thank you that your word gives us patterns. And yet in your wisdom, you've given enough freedom for congregations locally to figure out exactly what that looks like in their own context. I pray that you would guide us, as I believe you already have, that you would continue to open our eyes to what your, what, what your word says. I thank you for taking me through this process and changing the way that I understand church leadership. And that through this, I would become a more effective shepherd, more effective teacher, more effective pastor, better husband, better father, all because I'm, I'm being shaped by your word. And I, I pray you would do that work in my life. And I believe you've brought us to this moment for a purpose through your word. And I'm trusting that, that you've brought us here, not, not to leave us hanging, but because you have 
men, even now in our congregation, who are qualified and are called to this task. The task of being a pastor, shepherding, teaching, the, the, the task of deacon, to be a servant, ministering and caring for congregation. Walk with us through this entire process, however long it takes. We want to follow you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.